0: Have you never wondered how to build a strong growth engine as an e-commerce company. Well, in today's episode of The Growth Equation, we get to bring on Dan Gray, who's a director of growth over at Cotton really got to have an amazing perspective about how you build a growth team from the ground up, what the team needs to be focused on, what the types of um, metrics, how do you hire for that team? And then as you think about e-commerce in general, how do you balance growth with with the brand being such an essential part of the organization's success? So got to have some really interesting insights overall that I think everyone's just going to love. So let's kind of jump right into the episode. Would love for you guys to have a listen. Hey Dan, welcome to the uh, Growth Acceleration Podcast. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thanks for having me. It's great catching up and um, getting to chat with you again. Yeah, no, no, definitely. Uh, how are things on your end? They have been better, but we're uh, we're looking all right. You know, I I think amidst of everything going on right now, I'm just grateful that my team keeps humming along, and we're definitely seizing this as an opportunity to do something interesting and, and figure out how our business can come out of this stronger. So. Yeah. Excited by, by what, uh, what lies ahead. What about yourself?
0: Yeah, it's definitely an interesting time. I, you know, I think there's definitely light at the end of the tunnel and, I, I, and, I, and I, you know, I'm and I'm i looking forward to when that kind of passes through and, and, you know, we can kind of normalize into a more like healthy society, uh, again. And I think something that would be would just be really great, you know, as we kind of kick this off is like, but just love like an intro on yourself and kind of just tell the listeners who you are.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, My name is Dan. I I am the director of growth at Cotton. I'm fortunate enough to to lead our e-com kind of revenue ops there where we oversee a few different performance channels. So uh, I've been fortunate enough to be on that team for the last four months. Prior to that, I was working with yourself at the OpenCare team. there for about three years in in a few different growth functions, one of which was paid acquisition. I was doing some conversion rate optimization there, which You've now taken over and, and kind of passed the baton to you on that uh, and got a chance to, to test out some new channels as well. And um, in terms of kind of how I got into growth, it's a pretty narrow background relative to a lot of other people you meet in the startup world. I have a pretty traditional marketing background. So went to, to Wilfrid Laurier and did my BBA there specializing in marketing and kind of jumped into digital roles right after school. And that's kind of gotten me here.
0: Kind of a very interesting background of, you know, working in e-commerce both like on the you know online retail side to to now working for like more of like an e-commerce brand that both have stores and an online presence and then on top of that working on like that call it the online marketplace side Mm -hmm. uh one interesting thing to that would be like what is life working for specifically on like uh and just an online e-commerce brand and like how have you had to think about marketing different from some of those like other experiences like open care or like well.ca before that
1: yeah, there's definitely things that are similar, but um, you know, in terms of in terms of how they contrast, when when you look at e-comm, there's a lot of moving pieces that kind of result in a, a customer getting the item that they purchase. So there's the digital experience, there's the, the marketing team, but there's also kind of that physical component of it as well, where we, you know, are sourcing our product and we're going about designing it and and that's all the way until we actually ship it to them. So there, there's a number of touch points there. For the marketplace, you know you've, you've two sides to it. So you have demand and supply. But in OpenCare's case, you know you're not actually the one delivering the physical good itself, which is the dental treatment. And so it's been interesting, kind of modeling out growth uh, while taking into consideration the constraints around how much lead time we need with our products. You know how many SKUs do we need on the website? Uh, what do we need to do to get the customer from point A to point B? It's it's been a, a really different experience, one that I was fortunate enough to to go through when I was at Well.ca, but. Um, having been out of ecom for three years, it's been a nice reminder as I kind of jump back into that world.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And I think one question to that then is: is like, do you think that building a growth engine, like an e-commerce brand, is a much different approach than if you were working for, like, say, like an online cloud SaaS product or, or something that, or like a specific like tech product or service that you're selling?
1: I don't think any any growth funnels are cut and dry the same. I think there's a lot of processes and, and tactics that map well. For example, I have my team working on a, a growth sprint process. So, you know, we we kind of chalk up our weeks into weekly sprints where we decide what projects we want to work on and throughout the week we go about delivering them. You know, that maps really nicely to, to any different company that you want to you wanna apply that to. But when you're taking a 30-foot view and looking at how your business is going to grow, for sure it looks different from a SaaS business. I think every organization has unique things that are going to make it tick. You have to figure out what are the channels that are going to work, what are the mechanics within the user experience that are that are going to work. Using OpenCare as an example, you know, you guys execute a, a lead funnel where, you know, if, if a user comes to the site, they're kind of vetted via a lead quiz. That could work in e-commerce. There's businesses that leverage that, but the, the user experience from when they arrive at the site to when they purchase looks much different. So you kind of have to reverse engineer what, what the site looks like today and figure out, okay. What are the constraints we want to apply to that and, and where do we want to start working towards in order to, to optimize growth for the long run? And then on
0: top of that is like, you know, with your with your current role now being like a, like a director of growth where you are, like, you know, growth means a lot of things to like a lot of different companies and a lot of cases probably like a, a very overused term and especially live within like the, the tech ecosystem space. How do you define, like, what is growth marketing versus, like, brand marketing versus, like, you know, like, demand gen overall? I think it would be really great for the listeners to, like, if you could define, like, how how you're looking at growth specifically in your own, like, in your team.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, first and foremost, I think growth is sometimes an overused term that kind of gets blanketed onto a number of things. So, from our standpoint, growth today is is performance marketing, first and foremost. My mandate for my team is you know, how do we distribute the message that our brand team's putting together? I think that's where, where growth marketing and performance marketing really shine is being that distribution. So, you know, if there is a message that our brand team has cultivated, our job is to distribute that via channels like email, via AdWords, via Facebook. That's our first priority. Second, what I think my team can, can really do to grow the business is building sort of this growth and revenue bias culture. And when I say revenue bias, you know, throughout any business, Organizations and departments have have a tendency to build silos or optimize towards different metrics that are better suited for their teams. Um, But at the end of the day, I think a company is strongest when everyone's working towards a high-level revenue metric that's broken down so each team understands what their role is in owning that. And so I think, um, you know, since I've joined the company, what I'm trying to do is figure out how I can apply that, that growth mentality to different areas of our business, like customer care like a lot of our brand touch points like our digital experience so that you know we're not just growing from a performance marketing standpoint we are finding levers throughout the organization where we can grow and I think that just accelerates the rate at which you're doing that and then just
0: kind of like uh, do a little bit of deep dive like specifically on channels and you know as, as we're kind of going through this like unknown time you' we're starting to see businesses focusing on like sustainable growth overall like how do you think people in like companies should look at like trying to balance like paid channels versus organic? and like having like a healthy mix?
1: Yeah, it's a tough question, especially in the current climate. I think if, if you have the cash infusion where you can stand to lose money on your first purchase and make that back in the long run through the lifetime value of your customer, then paid acquisition is not necessarily a bad thing. I also think if you have a really large average order value, so, you know, it could be a SaaS product or it could be high-end furniture and you're selling a $2,000 couch online, Paid acquisition can potentially work, right? If you can spend $1,000 to acquire a customer, Facebook can definitely do that for you. Other other paid channels can do that for you. But you know, if, if you are losing money on paid acquisition, either A, you need to offset that with organic channels so that your blended acquisition is profitable for your business, or B, you, you got to totally remove yourself from paid or at least lower your budget to the point where you know, you're spending your time and resources elsewhere. So I think it's it's important that, that marketers, especially now, kind of build that discipline around, okay, what does the world look like? And what is my my marketing blend in order to achieve a cost per acquisition that's going to make us money in the short term or long term? And just understanding from a business objective, you know, what what can I stomach? What can I afford to lose on a customer? Or what do I need to be making in order to give us the runway that we need to survive? And then
0: are you someone that like looks at like more around like having proper like channel diversification or do you think that it's okay to be heavily invested into a specific channel if it's like a very healthy like organic channel?
1: So I don't think you ever want to be locked into one channel especially one like Facebook or AdWords where you know your money is just continuously being pulled back into the pocket of a massive business that's never a safe place to play in. I think a channel like Facebook pairs really nicely if you're also investing in conversion rate optimization right so every every individual that you drive to your site you're also improving the rate at which you convert them i think that's a really effective mix if you also you know add email into that and so for every user that provides you their email you're also doing a good job of converting them layer referrals onto that now you're not only converting that user but you're also generating even more customers for that so it's okay if you have like only one or two major traffic sources but make sure you're also investing in other areas of the funnel so that you know your dollar in acquiring that user is going a lot lot further down the road
0: And then I guess the one specific question to that, how, you know, and and obviously as as you were talking about this and how like companies are becoming more and more like reliant on like, with like Google and Facebook, like how do you think that companies should like try to navigate like that specific like relationship with those, uh, with those channels, like as, as you basically are seeing more, more, the cost of acquisition keeps going up. Right. Like, and and how do you balance between that? Because in a lot of ways it can become almost like a little bit of a drug.
1: Yeah, for sure. So for e-com, I, I mean, I would guess a majority of e-com companies are running some level of Facebook ads, if not a majority of their business coming from Facebook. And so today, it's a necessity to be on there. You're not going to you know, find that reach anywhere else at such a targeted level. So I think it is important for teams to, to work on how efficiently they're driving acquisition through Facebook. Uh, and that comes in the form of, of optimizations within the account, but also finding better ad creative and finding ways to generate cheaper acquisition through the platform. So, so first and foremost, that needs to happen. I don't want to sit here and say that you can do it without Facebook. There's definitely companies and in, in roadmaps where that exists. But for most people listening, that's probably going to be a part of their channel mix. I'd say outside of that, though, you know, setting really clear constraints around your business. A lot of companies use OKRs as a framework for, you know, what they want to set as their objectives and key results. Just being really honest with yourself around, OK, you know, this is what my cost per acquisition needs to be. Facebook is or is not delivering on that. What do I need to do to supplement that? And also like what scale do I need to do it at? So, say you're short $100,000. That's a very different conversation with your team than you're short a million dollars. If you want to find $100,000, maybe the world of channels is a lot bigger than if you need a million dollars, right? I don't know 20 different channels that can deliver you a million dollars in revenue in a month, but there's a lot more depending on what your what your strategy and your model looks like. So, I think first and foremost, just being really honest about what those key results are that you need to drive, putting some unit economics in place and understanding what your cost per acquisition is, understanding what the lifetime value of your customer can be, um, and then starting to build out models and experiments that uh, uncover insights into whether or not those channels are going to work for you. So then just kind of shifting gear to the last thing you said right there, I'm talking about like the
0: the models and channels that are going to work for a business. So say Mm -hmm. some of our listeners that are listening right now are like, just trying to get their business off the ground, they're trying to figure out what the right channels are, like, what would you recommend? And like, where do they even start first? Like, is it just like turning on some like, some Facebook ads or some Google ads? Or do you think you have to be a little more strategic on like, like how you how you make sure you're approaching like what channel you pick first and, and how you experiment?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So I mean, if I was starting out in, in creating a new business, the first thing that I would really want to make sure to do is invest in, in what my brand looks like and sounds like. Uh, I think this is a really hard thing to do after the fact. So if you're already spending money on all these channels, it's really hard to go back and say, "Okay, how do we embed our brand into this?" And so if, if I'm an entrepreneur and I'm just starting out in a business, it's like, let's really lock down what that message looks like. And I think that's that's where you've seen a lot of these D2Cs grow from. Companies like Casper and Warby Parker, and in a way, a lot of those were were founded by like former PR employees and people who worked within agencies who really knew understood the value of you know what is that underlying brand building that first. Once that's in place, I would say, you know, figuring out what I have to spend. So if if I have cash, you know, maybe paid channels are on the table. If I don't, maybe I have to go the organic route, but starting to run experiments that don't necessarily scale well. So it could be as simple as going out and standing in a park. Once all this kind of dissipates and we're no longer social distancing, but uh, going in a park and handing out flyers, wearing a t-shirt of your business and asking people, if they're willing to sign up, that's a great way to, to get insight into whether or not customers are interested. And it's a great cheap way to get uh, word out. If you have money, you know maybe you start bidding on keywords that are really high intent, but have low competition. So you're spending a dollar cost per click to, to acquire users early on. So it's kind of just going through that framework. Um, there is a framework called the, the boomerang model. I can't recall what book that's from, but... Um, there's like, I think it's 19 different channels they they recommend kind of starting off with and slowly going through all 19, picking the first three that, that make the most sense for your business, running experiments to validate or invalidate whether those make sense for you and kind of going through that list to uncover things that are going to work. And then talking specifically some of, some of your background that, you know, you've tested a lot of like new channels in your
0: career, you know, what would you recommend to someone like about like, how you even approach like trying to like test all these new channels? Is like doing everything all at once? Is it like prioritizing different channels? Is it like as you were talking about before, putting like in you know almost like sprints and ideate on like different ideas, and then from there go like then figure out like what channel like that can be tested in? Like, would love to get some of like some of your background knowledge there.
1: For sure. So I mean, I would love to do everything all at once, and I'm sure you feel the same way. You probably have like 20 AB tests you wish you could run tomorrow and, and find out about, but. Unfortunately, uh, as, as growth marketers, we have to exercise patience every once in a while. For me, the, growth, the, the sprint process that I was, I was talking to earlier is definitely the way I would, I would recommend going. So first of all, you know, before we even get there, figuring out, okay, what are the objectives that we're trying to achieve here? In the question that you posed, you know, your objective is probably uncover a new channel that can deliver X number of new customers within X timeframe. So you want to make sure you're really clear on that objective. Once you have that, starting to brainstorm a list of of solutions that satisfy that is, is where I'd go next. So for this specific example, maybe it's referrals, maybe it's Facebook, maybe it's AdWords. And so you're building that list of ideas that satisfy the criteria you built out. From there, I would go and stack rank it. So I'm creating some sort of criteria to figure out how to stack one above the other. One framework I like to use for that is called the ICE framework. So that's ranking things based on impact, confidence, and effort. Impact being the size and scale at which something can impact your business. Confidence being how likely is it to be successful, looking at either internal knowledge or external examples you're able to find. And the last is effort. How long is it going to take to find, or how long is it going to take to run an experiment or how long is it going to take for, you know, your engineering team to go and build what you need them to. Once you have things stack ranked, figuring out what kind of velocity you can have. You know, if you're a one person growth team, maybe you can run max two experiments every two weeks. And so you would go to your stack rank, choose the top two things, build an experimentation doc, model out what that experiment looks like in order to kind of put some hypothesis out in the world and actually start to execute on it to see how close you were to delivering on that hypothesis and figuring out, okay, is this something that's going to be part of my marketing mix long-term?
0: Totally. I think that's like a really awesome answer. And then I think to like just uh, to kind of switch gears on like kind of uh, one last topic when it comes to like growth marketing overall is like, how do you, you know, sometimes the brand of a, you know, a call it a company, of get lost from like the very, especially at the very early beginning. Like, how do you think about like early stage companies should be looking at like their brand as like as something that they should care about when, you know, a lot of times what happens is like, you know, you're in performance marketing, you're just trying to get channels up and going, you, you start testing and then it's almost like brand becomes an afterthought. So I'd love to get your perspective on like how, how do you look at like leveraging the brand as what you do within growth?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't have a perfect answer for that. I am fortunate enough to be on a team right now where I am learning every day from wonderful brand marketers who are who are kind of teaching me about how we can we can integrate growth in brand teams. And so, you know, this thought is very much a work in progress. But I think it, it starts from the top down. If you are a leader of a growth team, I think it's really important that you provide your your direct reports kind of that mandate to make sure everything you do does serve the brand first and foremost. If not, at the end of the day, you're just pumping money into things that might not be there tomorrow, right? Even looking at the climate today, I would wager that organizations that have invested heavily in brand, when the dust is settled and you know they're not spending as much on, on paid acquisition and a lot of their their revenues coming from from brand led initiatives, you know, they're they're probably doing a lot better than organizations that are forced to spend money to get in front of people every day. You know, having that community is is so valuable. So as a leader, it's your job to make sure that your team understands that, and they're they're looking at their experimentation frameworks through that lens. If you're an individual contributor, or you're listening to this, and and you're kind of thinking, well, I don't have the authority to go and and create that culture, and I I can't mandate that, you have to ask for that, right? I, I think you should feel empowered to go to your your leadership team and say, hey, you know, I think it's really important that this is part of how we're we're going to grow. Can you give me direction on what the vis- vision of this business is? Or even just starting to take on projects that, that move you closer to that, you know. Maybe saying, okay, let me let me spend a couple hours after hours and start thinking about these things, and I'll bring you some recommendations and projects I want to work on to get us closer to that. Like I said, it's not a perfect answer, but just even starting to have these conversations and making sure that that your leadership teams are thinking about that—that's the first step because I think that that moves us all forward. Totally,
0: um, I think that's like another really interesting answer there, and I think kind of like just switching gears a little bit now, and you know, you, you know, you got to you know come into Cotton and you got to really kind of build like the growth function there from like the ground up, you know, we'd love to hear like some of your insights and what, like, what have you learned about like trying when an organization that is not brand new has, are you're coming in for the first time and trying to build out a growth function? Like what were the things that you learned? What do you think that are things that are important for anyone that's trying to go through and trying to build this growth function within an organization?
1: So I think first and foremost, it's just being mindful of the fact that the way we think of things, I think, as, as growth marketers and product managers and engineers, you know, not the world doesn't necessarily see things through that lens. And that's not necessarily the right lens either. And I think just being empathetic towards that is first and foremost what I am, am trying to keep top of mind. Uh, because, you know, I want to come in and, and learn from from my colleagues, but I also want to teach them about how I think of things because that's that's how you build diverse organizations, uh, and so what I've tried to do, you know, within the first four months is not necessarily approach conversations and say, hey, this is my way of doing things and this is how we should we should move forward. It's, you know, this is one way I think about things. I would love to hear how how you've been operating so far because, you know, the business has been successful and obviously something's working. Teach me how I can grow as a marketer. And brand is, is just one example of, of how I'm trying to do that. Uh, and then when, when the tables turn and, you know, I've, I've built enough trust with my coworkers where they take an interest in the stuff I'm doing. It's just an opportunity for me to share my perspective, not coming from a place of, hey, I'm necessarily right, but, you know, growth is a really, really interesting framework and uh, lens to view things. And I'd love to help apply that to your area of the business if you'd let me. I'm not necessarily going to be right, but at least it's something we can try together to potentially move the business forward. As long as we're doing that and having those conversations and just being respectful of each other, I think it makes businesses a lot stronger. And that, like to your earlier question about, you know, how you infuse brand into organizations, it's a give and take, right? Like brand can't always be right. Growth can't always be right. You need to be respectful of the fact that these functions exist because both of them have a role to play in growing businesses. And so finding a shared language that that allows you to do that and starting to have these conversations, that's how you're going to grow businesses that last, right? You're not going to disappear tomorrow because you have those growth levers that, Kind of prop up the day to day of the of the business, but you also have the brand that is kind of that pillar we all stand on.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I think that's like that's like super well spoken, and, and I think Kim kind of hit the nail nail on the head around building like more like sustainability there. And I think one kind of transition question I'd have to that is like, you know, as you've kind of built out this team, it's like, you know, from your from your perspective, is like, uh, you know, what is are there like core call it you know competencies or skill sets that you're looking for for like specific individuals to kind of join like the, the growth team I'm like I'm, I'm, like cotton right now
1: um it's it's really a case by case basis depending on on what the need is what I kind of universally look for in people I try to hire is is a curiosity and, and uh, inclination to ask why I think at the core of every growth experiment is a really really strong hypothesis where someone sitting behind that experiment is asked why and, and they've They've kind of looked at a problem and said, you know, like this isn't right. Like maybe there's a better way to do this or, you know, have we ever thought about things this way? So I'm looking for that curiosity in terms of growth marketers that have had experience in a growth role. This is different than if I'm hiring someone who's, who's entry level and just kind of coming into the field. I want them to look at problems systematically. I think systematic thinking and kind of like this modeling approach is really important. People who are, who are able to break down problems and metrics into funnels. It's a really, really effective thing to do. Uh, because one you know you're not just looking at metrics that are are harder to tackle people like that are able to derive inputs that that drive those metrics so if I'm hiring someone and I say to them I need you to increase our revenue that's a really really Im- ambiguous problem for someone to tackle and so i need a team member that's able to look at that and say well you know for an e-com business in order to drive revenue that's a function of the number of existing customers we have the number of new customers we have the average order value of those customers what's the frequency at which they they purchase from us so i want employees that have that curiosity of of trying to uncover what drives a specific metric and so for me those are those are probably the two biggest things
0: right now And then I think one, just like one like kind of last question I, I I have before we kind of wrap things up, that kind of uh, transitions into this really well is you, we have a few listeners right now, like, like listening, you know, they're kind of starting their careers. Maybe they have a year or so, uh, you know, experience under them. They're really trying to think about like moving into like, you know, into like a growth function, you know, what would you tell those individuals right now, like the skills that they should be working on to like, to learn the things in order for them to be successful moving to like a growth role?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, First thing I would say is like growth is not easy. It's challenging because everything you do comes under the scrutiny of, of being measured. Uh, make sure that's something that you're comfortable with and that you you feel like you you can take the pressure of that on. I equate it pretty closely to like a sales role. It's different in that you're not necessarily having one-to-one interactions and your job's predicated on that, but you are measured pretty closely to your ability to grow a business. So being mindful of that. If you are looking to break into growth and, and you feel like it's something that, you know, you could get really on board with, just start doing things. This is something that I'm constantly reminded of is like the, the best growth marketers are ones that are scrappy and resourceful, and they're willing to do things on their own and solve problems on their own. You know, if you're lucky, you'll go to a business that has designers, that have engineers that are willing to build things for you. And you have all the resources necessary to, to run the tests you want to run. But in a lot of cases, if you're working in small organizations, you need to be able to be the one that can do that especially if you're trying to convince someone to hire you with, with no previous growth experience. The good news is, though, we exist in probably the biggest evolution towards no code that's ever existed, right? There's all these tools that you can build your own website without the ability to code. You have tools like Canva where you can go in and design things without access to Photoshop. You can build sites on Shopify for free. So there's nothing stopping you. If you're not willing to do the work in in terms of kind of being scrappy and building those things now, that's going to be challenging when it comes time for you if you don't have those resources at your job to get those things done. I think
0: it's an amazing answer,
1: and uh, I think that could really
0: kind of really like kind of help our listeners overall. I think now, I think you know, kind of answered a lot of my questions, and I think just to kind of like sum things up on like this like podcast before we go because I feel like it could be. We could talk for hours on end of some of the insights you have. Is you know how could someone you know if they want to come find you and they want to talk more about some of the things that you've talked about in the podcast today? How how could they do that? Whereabouts could they reach out to you for that?
1: Yeah, for sure. So um, the best way to get a hold of me, I am readily available on Twitter. You can find me at Growing Gray. Uh, Gray is spelled G R A Y. Feel free to tweet at me. Definitely love interacting with marketers, sharing data points, uh, helping people find roles if if that's what they're looking for. So. Uh, feel free to follow me there. And then you can also connect with me on LinkedIn. You can find me under Dan Gray. And yeah, feel free to reach out. I'm always happy to connect with, with different marketers. Amazing, Dan. Yeah, I just wanted to say um, thank
0: you again for you know kind of coming on the podcast. I think we had like a really good episode that I think people are going to love. And by all means, if anyone listening right now, please reach out to Dan. He, he definitely knows the stuff when it comes to growth overall. So just wanted to say thanks again for coming on.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. And uh, I know we didn't have a chance to work together too long, but it, it's always great chatting with you. I mean, you definitely always provoke some interesting thoughts in my mind. And uh, yeah, anytime you want to riff, I'm I'm more than happy. So thanks for having me on. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So thanks again. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to our listeners later.